Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Um, I'm going to talk tonight about the uh, the early 1950s in America, um, the Korean War, and the climate that the Korean War creates domestically in America, particularly uh, surrounding the, uh, the the rupture in the relationship between um, General Douglas MacArthur and President Harry Truman. Um, the relation, the, the the kind of the nature of um, Cold War politics uh, and domestic American politics had begun to, to to radically transform the American political landscape from the end of the Second World War onwards, particularly in 1946, when the Republican Party uh, decided that the the easiest way to win, uh, win back power, or to at least erode the um, democratic ascendancy which had survived uh, from 1932 uh, up until 1945, 46, um, was not to waste any time uh, attacking um, the economics of um, the New Deal though the Republicans despise that, uh, because trying to convince Americans that um, the the level of state intervention that had um, defeated the Great Depression and won a world war was somehow um, ineffective, given the, the radical improvement in living standards that had been seen within um, a, a, a kind of a decade and a half. This was... This was um, uh, not a vote winner. There was no meaningful offer that the Republicans could make. Um, the uh, re- the core of Republican economic thinking had not really changed since Hoover, but this was the sort of stuff that one could not uh, express. Roosevelt had successfully seen off um, all uh, meaningful challenges to the, the New Deal. Some of the alphabet agencies had been proved unconstitutional at the Supreme Court, but the, the, the core ideas of a shift away from laissez-faire economics had, had prevailed. They, the Republicans had been defeated on, on that one. Um, their British counterparts, the Conservative Party um, in 1945, had been forced to accept a much more mixed economy than they had wanted, and in 1947 they were forced to sign this thing, the uh, Industrial Charter, where they agreed that Labour's gains of, of nationalisation uh, and union rights, uh, union power, and um, a, a, a large welfare state, that these things weren't going away. So the, the situation is, is slightly different in America. The, the Republicans realised that uh, attacking the Democrats on the basis of their supposed softness on communism was the uh, the best attack line. Most Americans, after the Second World War, um, want to pay as little interest in the affairs of the world as possible and not to get involved in any uh, international uh, conflagrations. But by 1947, Truman, conscious of the, uh, the possibility of the fall of Greece to the communists um, and um, the possibility even of the fall of Turkey, and therefore... A, a communist encroachment into the Middle East um, recognizes that the, you know, the British are no longer capable uh, financially 
of supporting either country, and it's going to be America's uh, going to have to step in. Uh, so a, a, a kind of a, a robust anti-communist foreign policy that's not really in tune with what much of the American public want, but will f- help to fend off accusations of being weak on communism, combined, com- sort of combined with federal loyalty boards, the kind of the forerunners to the House and American Activities Committee and the, the heights of McCarthyism. These all have to be Democrat, um, Democrat sort of innovations. And the uh, crisis over in, in, in Korea... Korea is a Democrat war fought by a uh, rapidly Republican uh, general. Um, MacArthur, who had all sorts of run-ins with Roosevelt in the war that would see, have seen a, a, a less high-profile general dismissed on the spot, is made commander-in-chief of the United Nations forces in, in, in Korea and is only dismissed when he uh, essentially challenges the decision making of Truman um, over the the kind of the, the, the threat of uh, World War Three against China. Now tonight I'm reading from David Coates' brilliant book, The Great Fear. Um, we've dipped into this before. Um, it's well worth it. So it's quite a um, uh, quite quite a venerable title. It goes back. To, a few decades, but it's well worth a read. Okay, so he writes, A number of senators and representatives call for varying degrees of atomic warfare in Korea. The myth flourished that General MacArthur had been forced to fight with his hands tied. MacArthur's most attractive quality for Republicans and isolationists was his apparent desire to crush the communists with Chang's army or with the atomic bomb. Um, When Truman dismissed him in April 1951, a Gallup poll showed 69% uh, support for the general, with 29% support for the president. Truman had never been a particularly popular US president. By the end of 1952, when more than a million men had been drafted and almost 25,000 killed, the search for a scapegoat or a domestic fifth column became the stock in trade of the Republicans. A Knox County, Ohio farmer's wife put it this way about Truman. With our boys dying in Korea, he won't kick out the people who are fighting us. It makes me sick. So, long, long before Trump, long, long before Bush Jr., long before Nixon even, the ability of the Republican right to create really fabrications, uh, myths, fantasies, folk devils, uh, for ordinary voters to um, get behind, to feel worried by, panicked by, and to look at the, the Democrats and the sort of a tranche of uh, centre-left liberal uh, intellectual life and elitism as being un-American, unpatriotic, dangerous and subversive. But there's an irony here. Um, uh, Truman was far more ready to commit American resources to the struggle against communism. Um, In practical terms, uh, in terms of willingness to commit funds and uh, material, and even fighting men to the containing of Soviet power, uh, Truman's um, uh, Democrats 
um, put far more energy and effort and time into this than their Republican critics. By the end of 1952, for example, the administration was carrying between 33 and 50% of France's financial burden in the Inter-Chinese War. The uh, Roosevelt uh, interest in decolonization and the end to European empires had been quietly abandoned by Truman. Uh, the uh, officials uh, in Truman's administration and Truman's cabinet looked upon anti-colonial movements as being essentially communist or certainly questionable whether they would ever be um, uh, allies of the United States to ever be trusted. These were uh, potential uh, potential um, Soviet satellites. David Cote writes, In 1947 and 1948, a Republican Congress had rejected Truman's proposal for peacetime military training. The Chicago Tribune even opposed America's intervention in Korea. On December the 20th, 1950, ex-President Herbert Hoover, a critic of intervention in 1941 and of the Soviet alliance, called for withdrawal of all American troops from Europe and Asia. Fortress America could rely on air and naval power to protect her. The Republican isolationists talked tough but shrank from the fight. After the truce in Korea, Senator William E. Jenner of Indiana demanded that America re-establish an anti-communist government in China and unify Korea to the Yalu River. How? By arming Japan and Germany and then applying diplomatic pressure on the Russians. If the Russians were not amenable, then expel them from the UN. And if the UN went to vote against America, then withdraw from the UN, uh, said Jenner. We want no American forces sent to Southeast Asia. We want no carefully contrived emergencies by which we shall be forced to, in, to consent in haste to sending troops to Vietnam or Thailand. There is no way to defend the industrial heart of Europe unless we use those two great wells of tough anti-communist manpower, Western Germany and Spain. And this is said by Joe McCarthy, uh, whom we'll turn to in, in a moment. He, he clarified and, and in, in some ways expressed some degree of support for the Truman Doctrine itself, but from a more uh, isolationist, uh, you know, let the others do the fighting stance. And he said, Now I do not propose to send American troops into China or Poland, but I do propose that we give the anti-communist forces in those countries necessary aid when the opportunity presents itself. Um, in some ways, what uh, McCarthy was saying was rather similar to uh, Roosevelt's arsenals of democracy position in 1940, that uh, America shouldn't get involved in wars against fascism, but should arm those countries to the hilt that, uh, that are the, the, the fighting front line. Um, ultimately, what has been America's trajectory in the post-war era has been that it, it, that, the, that it has had to commit the fighting men to. So, um, uh, Joseph McCarthy, the senator from Wisconsin, uh, elected in 1947, built his career on the, the foundations that... Um, uh, Truman had kind of created for him. Truman's uh, capitulation to the Republicans, um, his, uh, his desire not to be seen soft on communism, uh, on this rather imaginary spectre of communism that uh, existed in America, 
and his desire to radically tack to the right didn't take away uh, the anti-communist landscape, the anti-communist kind of ecosystem that um, the Republicans thrived on. It, it added to it. It created opportunities for people like um, uh, McCarthy. Now this, this is sort of like the Overton window of discourse had been shifted to the anti-communist right. Things that had not particularly concerned many Americans or not particularly occurred to many Americans um, before suddenly became a constant drumbeat of, of, uh, of ideas and, um, and, and scare stories. Um, and David Coates writes, McCarthy's voting record was quite typical of his parties. In 1950 and 51, he voted against the four-point programme to aid underdeveloped countries, and he also voted for cuts in, the, in foreign military aid, which is you know, contradictory to what he'd previously said. Um, not a coherent um, thinker, necessarily. He opposed a budget um, increase for the Voice of America, uh, the radio. Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., claimed in May 1952 that such isolationists were cheered uh, in the Kremlin while they fought a sham battle at home to cover their stealthy desertion of allies abroad. This sham battle was known as the 20 Years of Treason, to quote a, fra a phrase made famous by McCarthy at a Lincoln Day dinner. Uh, the hard fact is that those who wear the label Democrat wear it with the stain of an historic betrayal he, um, he denounced Dean Aitchison, who he called the Great Red Dean, and his crimson crowd, who betrayed American boys dying in Korea. He castigated the Aitchison Hiss, referring to Alger Hiss, Lattimore group, and dragged up the fact that in November 1945, uh, 1945 um, Dean Aitchison had shared a platform with Paul Robeson, the famous um, left-wing um, socialist um, African-American uh, actor and singer and intellectual, Corliss Lamont, and Joseph E. Davis, who was the um, former ambassador to Moscow, who was always um, always kind of tainted with the suggestion, he was one of Roosevelt's ambassadors to Moscow, that he was far too comfortable with, with Stalin. Um, and um, at Madison Square Garden, this, this took place, um, and it was a meeting uh, sponsored by the National Council for American-Soviet friendship. Well, the, a lot of what McCarthy would churn out would be sort of circumstantial stuff. Um, he, this idea that there, had, that there had been some kind of 20 years of betrayal since Roosevelt had entered the White House, and this had led to somehow American boys dying in Korea, um, and that the uh, the Democrats had been deliberately, purposefully soft on communism, had allowed com the, uh, the communists to seize power in Korea, just as supposedly they'd allowed the communists to seize power in, in China. Um, a lot of this was based in the what were known as the Venona decrypts. These were in, in, in this was intelligence signals traffic that was uh, intercepted by the Americans and the British, that showed that there had indeed been um, people within Roosevelt's administration who had passed information to the Soviets, the, the, the key one being um, Harry Dexter White. Um, and the, um, the, the inference here is that uh, there were Soviet spies working in um, Roosevelt's administration. 
it's entirely possible that this is indeed true. But it's also entirely possible that uh, Roosevelt needed back channels, needed people leaking information, passing information, and uh, communicating with the Soviets, and perhaps he was even aware of some of it. However, the fact that it was, um, there were no, the fact that the, the picture emerged, that there were indeed some um, sources, that either spies or people passing information to the Soviets, had virtually no bearing on on almost anything that um, uh, that, that McCarthy was saying. The idea that there were people in Roosevelt and Truman's administrations desperate for the communists to win in the Korean War is, of course, patently uh, uh, absurd. But this shows you the extent to which the Republican Party would use whatever whatever they found lying around in order to throw out the Democrats. There's a certain kind of nihilistic uh, enthusiasm for strife and for kind of um, uh, destruction, really. McCarthy went on to say, Before Russia was recognised by the US in 1933, Dean Acheson was paid by the Soviet Union to act as Stalin's lawyer in this country. Alger Hiss, who was later uh, accused of treason, Alger Hiss's brother Donald, uh, worked in Aitchison's law firm. Had not Aitchison refused to turn his back on Hiss, had he not been responsible in 1946 for granting 90, a $90 million loan to communist Poland? So it's, it's all this kind of circumstantial stuff. But if you say enough circumstantial stuff to uh, Republican grassroots meetings uh, across America, it sort of sticks. I mean, you know, it, it is like... Um, the kind of the QAnon of the 1940s. Um, you, one only needs to look at the, the kind of the, the, the tenuous connections that right-wing American uh, TV show hosts on things like Fox News and sort of um, various insane radio shows tend to make um, in order to sort of create this kind of peculiar picture of the world. But you can make peculiar pictures of the world and people will listen to them and find them compelling. It's sort of very much in, in the telling of the tale, I suppose. Um, so the, the McCarthy thesis, which was um, basically um, the kind of the re Republican position uh, and was repeated by other Republicans consistently when they saw how successful McCarthy was being, um, was that the communists within America had been more responsible for the success, success of communism overseas than Soviet Russia had. So if you wanted to explain why Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Bulgaria, Albania, Yugoslavia, uh, and then in, uh, in 1949 China had all gone communist, it wasn't the Red Army, it wasn't Stalin, it wasn't Comintern, it wasn't Mao, it was traitors in the State Department, and it was traitors in the at all levels of government, that's what was happening, and for um, Americans who the events in the wider world, as is, is very common, uh, you know, not just specific to America, were uh, fast-paced and confusing and alarming and troubling. Uh, a simple explanation of treachery, like, a, like the, the sort of the stab in the back, the Dolstos. Uh, that uh, people like Ludendorff came out with at the end of World War One. This is a lot easier to kind of get your head round 
Traitors. Traitors have done this. After we've fought to free half the world, traitors have um, wound up creating a, a much more dangerous world for America to exist in. None of this is that much of an issue until, of course, the Soviet Union in uh, 1949 acquire a nuclear weapon, and then it's, it's much more alarming. The, the biggest scalps that um, McCarthy would claim would be Dean Acheson and George C. Marshall, who'd been obviously the chief of staff during the war, was later the Secretary of State and Secretary of Defence, and who had been the architect of the Marshall Plan. Much of um, what McCarthy had to say was a kind of selective cherry-picking uh, of the events of the Second World War. So, um, uh, I, I quote David Cote here, Marshall, said McCarthy, had called for a second front in 1942, precisely as Moscow had done, implying that he was at the beck and call of the Soviets, which isn't true at all. It was just that the both Roosevelt and Stalin uh, had the view that a, a, a cross-channel invasion from Britain to uh, France uh, and a, a direct clash, a, a direct assault on, on Nazism there was the way to go, and was the, the thing to do. And Churchill probably wisely persuaded um, them not to do it. Um, at Tehran, he had made common cause with Stalin, and again at Yalta, with hiss at his elbow. He had introduced, um, uh, induced FDR to bring Russia into the war against Japan, signing thereby the, uh, the death warrant of Chang's China. Again, a very selective view. Um, when we had um, uh, David Dean Barrett on the, the podcast last year, one of the points that he made out was that the, the, the numbers of Japanese soldiers still under arms in the summer of 1945, was immense, and that the that Roosevelt knew that he needed uh, Soviet manpower uh, at, at Yalta. You know, obviously Roosevelt was dead by then, but in February 1945 at the Yalta conference, Roosevelt knew he needed Soviet manpower in order to defeat the uh, the Japanese. There was no, it was it was not clear that there would be the atomic bomb would be there in time. And the the Japanese um, initially, after the first bomb, um, were were no were in fact nowhere close to surrendering. It's the second bomb uh, that that does it. So um, there are all sorts of reasons for Allied cooperation during the war, and there are you know the Soviet Union was obviously not necessarily a particularly attractive regime for America to be involved with. But if you look at the, uh, the, the, the regimes that America has been um, allied with throughout the 20th century, um, human rights and civil liberties and the freedom of speech and freedom from uh, arrest and persecution have never really been much of an issue. The whole point, and here's how the kind of the conspiracy theory works, the whole point was to put uh, secret communists uh, in positions of power domestically in America, and to allow, so it was alleged, communists to prevail um, overseas. He said, What do we find in the summer of 1951? The writs of Moscow run to a good 40% of all men living. This must be the product of a great conspiracy, a conspiracy on a scale so immense as to dwarf any previous such venture in the history of man. 
um, the um, dismissal of MacArthur um, was um, explained in basically the same way. Um, it was alleged that a secret inner cabal had um, conspired to get rid of, uh, of MacArthur. Whereas the reality was that MacArthur had challenged the authority of the president. Uh, and a general that can challenge the authority of the president and get away with it is essentially a dictator-in-waiting, a, a kind of a, a Julius Caesar, if you will. Um, and the, uh, and, but this was kind of supposedly the, the work of Moscow itself. Um, and the only choice, of course, would be an impeachment of the president um, to find out who is the secret invisible government. Uh, this this is the kind of the level of rhetoric that's being talked about. Now, it's interesting that we talk about this now, uh, on the eve of the, the second Trump impeachment, where um, you have uh, sort of uh, characters such as Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and people like that in, um, in, in government um, talking about conspiracy theories which make the McCarthy stuff look relatively sane. Um, and um, and there, there is a clear kind of a clear sort of precedent of conspiracy theory thinking and the weaponization of conspiracy theories in order to serve distinct political ends um, and in order to uh, place the Republican Party back on our, in a position of, of power. So what we see in America with Trump now is really nothing new. Anyway, let's finish there. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Do remember to swing by uh, our Facebook group, say hi. Um, There's always uh, some cool uh, and useful content in there. Um, And check out um, the new website, explaininghistory.org, where you can see all the videos I do. Uh, There's some new stuff going on the YouTube channel at the moment. Um, And if you can uh, sponsor us on Patreon, uh, that's always great too. Thanks very much, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.